Well, you guys sound great. Like, Joe did a good job in the choir lessons when I, I told him when I was gone, you know, to shape you guys up a little bit, and he did. He really did. Taught you guys to sing real, real good. Um, uh, it is the second Sunday in Advent today. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to find out if they fit together. I feel like I have two different sermons and I'm packing them into one, but sometimes that works because sometimes everybody on this side of the room needs one sermon and everybody on that side needs a different one. There's something for everyone. Uh, Today is the second Sunday in Advent. Last Sunday, we looked at hope through the eyes of some of the prophets mentioned in Matthew, and we lit a candle that represents this virtue of hope, which will be lit again in a second. In most traditions that observe Advent, the first week is for hope, and the third week, that pink candle there, is for joy, and then the second and fourth change around depending on whether you're asking a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic, and since I'm not any of those things, I just have to pick one. Uh, and last, last year we went hope, peace, joy, love, I've done a bit more research. It seems like the older traditions, hope, faith, joy, peace, that seems to be the way to go. So the second week this year in Advent, uh, we're setting aside to consider faith. And the second candle is lit so that hope, that first candle, and faith can burn together and illuminate with twice the effectiveness. So, I don't like the candle. (laughs) First try. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and then we'll actually be spending the uh, the first part of our time, most of our time maybe, in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. So let's go to Luke. I'll read from verse 26 to verse 38. We'll talk about faith a bit and its relationship to hope. We'll look around Hebrews chapter 11, and then later we'll come back to Luke chapter 1 and focus in on just two verses from this longish passage, verses 28 and verses verse 38. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. For when she saw him, she was, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. (laughs) What an understatement. (laughs) He's going to be great, I promise. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? 
And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, there is so much of this that we want uh, we want to digest. We want to make a part of us. This kind of faith that says, Behold, I'm your servant. I'm at your service. Let it be to me according to your word. Um, we, we marvel with Mary at this greeting that, that we would be so favored, that we would be so graced and blessed that we would have the Son of God in our midst. So we want this. We want to put our, our faith in this hope. So we ask you to bless us. Uh, bless us with the right attitude of our heart. Bless us with the kind of faith that results in obedience. We want that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this passage, beautiful passage, hopefully familiar, uh, but loses nothing by its familiarity by any means. But in this passage, we see Mary in her unique role in the history of redemption. And she stands alone. Only one person could give birth to Jesus. She stands in contrast to the other characters leading up to this event in the, in the story of Christmas, in the birth of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, you have Joseph about to put Mary away. He's about to divorce her, right? That would be a mistake. And an angel comes to tell him, no, not this way, this way. Now, earlier in Luke chapter 1, which is the longest chapter in the New Testament, I believe. Uh, there's one that's longest by verse count and one that's longest by word count, and they're not the same chapter, but Luke 1 is one of those. Uh, earlier in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, the husband of Elizabeth, who was mentioned in our, in our passage, Zechariah encounters Gabriel, the, the angel, with the news very similar to that which Mary receives here, news of a miracle baby. But Zechariah doubts. And Gabriel tells him that he will not be able to speak for a few months because, Luke chapter 1, verse 20, you can glance back at that, you did not believe. These were good people. Joseph was a just man. That's what we were told about Joseph. Zechariah and Elizabeth are both described as blameless. And in spite of this, Zechariah does not believe. And then a few verses down, we meet a girl that does. Zechariah doubts. Mary has faith. And we're talking about faith. Last week, hope. This week, faith. Now, in many ways, these two things, hope and faith, are almost the same thing. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish one from the other. There are ways in which hope and faith are uh, said, said in the same sentence, and they mean almost the same thing. They're both aspects of belief. Uh, there's a psalm that says, uh, that where David says to his downcast soul, we looked at this a couple weeks ago in Psalm 23, hope in God. And in this case, it seems that you could almost trade that word right out and say, have faith in God. And you wouldn't be too far off the mark of the original author's meaning, right? There are places in Scripture where hope in God and faith in God seem to mean just about the same thing. But we've got two candles there lit, not just one. Um, but don't be too hard on yourself if you can't uh, neatly categorize each virtue as well as you'd like. However, the Bible does make some distinctions. At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Paul says, these three continue, faith, hope, and love. There's commas in between those words. They're not, sim they're not just, you know, uh, the same words for uh, different words for the same meaning. They're different things. 
There's a distinction. These things may be similar, but they are not identical. 1 Peter 1 verse 21 says that Christ's work was so that your faith and hope are in God. Both your faith and your hope. Two different things. One more. Galatians chapter 5 verse 5 says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Uh, that last one seems to describe hope as a destination or object of desire and faith as the means of achieving it. it we, with, we wish, or sorry, we, um, we wait for the hope by faith. So while the dividing line between hope and faith at times seems to be invisible, there is a line there. Now, one of the places that shows such a distinction and perhaps begins to clear up some of the confusion is Hebrews 11 verse 1. You should have this one memorized. This one should be in the, in the back of your head rattling around. Okay, you should know it, but you can turn there anyway. Hebrews 11. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith and hope are together, but one is the substance of the other. What does that mean? Well, we talked about hope last week, and we did so primarily through the lens of old covenant prophets who were looking forward to a future Savior. They had hope. And this hope was not, not just a cross-fingered wish, right? Uh, biblical hope is confident. It's nothing if it's not confident. We ho hope does not disappoint, we're told. It is built on the rock-solid promises of Christ. But with this confidence is also a longing. Uh, it's not an apathetic confidence that where you just take it for granted. It's like, yeah, Jesus is going to come, so just sit back and just wait. That's not the kind of confidence that hope has. Uh, hope is future-oriented. So there will always, no matter how confident your hope, there will always be an edge-of-your-seat posture as hope is cultivated in your heart. John Piper says that hope is faith in the future tense. Or you could reverse that and say faith is hope in the present tense. It's the part you're holding on to. It's the substance of things hoped for, things far off. It is an aspect of faith that is confident in the future resolution of our longings and the fulfillment of the promises of God. But faith, faith and hope are a little different, right? The prophets hoped for the coming of a Messiah confidently. We hope for the second coming of the Messiah also confidently. Uh, Titus 2 verse 13, which we read last week, it's a great Advent verse, says that we are to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. But do you know what we're not hoping for? We're not hoping for the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross because that happened. We have faith in Christ's sacrifice, but we are not hoping for that sacrifice. Why? Because it's already happened. What the prophets looked forward to in hope, we look back at in faith. Again, you have a present tense, future tense kind of uh, dichotomy here with hope and faith. Consider Hebrews 11 verse 1 once more. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, Hebrews will tell you what you're hoping for, the whole book. You can't miss it. It's Jesus every time, right? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we run the race set before us, knowing that Jesus is at the finish line. That's what we are hoping for. And we run by faith. We walk by faith. So we're looking forward to a finish line. We're looking forward to the, the appearance of our blessed God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But our relationship with Jesus is not future-oriented. It's not merely a someday kind of relationship right? The finish line may be in the future, but the whole race in the meantime is oriented, you know, towards that line, the finish line. 
And the race we're running, it's right now. We're not waiting until we die before we get to know Jesus. Jesus isn't waiting until the second coming before he gets to know you uh, or to walk with you or to shape you into his image. He's already said, I am with you always. He is already, present tense, Emmanuel, God with us. He's invested now. We have a relationship with the God of the universe now, today. How? By faith. By faith. Faith is the substance, this reality that you can hold in your heart right now that is the present presence of what we hope for. Faith makes present to us spiritually that which is not with us physically or or temporally. Having fun yet? You guys tracking? All this stuff is going to be on the test. I expect you to cite your sources in your term papers. We will not be grading on a curve. That's ridiculous. Okay. So uh, let me see if I can make one more distinction or clarification, hopefully, about faith. And then we'll look at the examples of faith we have in, in Mary and how really she, she would fit right along in Hebrews 11 with all these faithful men and women. In Hebrews 11, faith is called substance and evidence. Substance. It is something substantial. Uh, it's something you can hold or something that you can point to in order to prove something, evidence. And the examples in Hebrews 11, what's called the Hall of Faith, show that this substantial evidence is something that works very well. It is very effective for accomplishing a great number of things. Faith, for the author of Hebrews, is a means to many ends. It is an essential tool or an asset that enables the possessor of it to run the race in obedience, no matter what race is set before them. Uh, the faith that they have, that these people in Hebrews 11 have, enables them to do the things, not just believe the things. That's taken for granted. Of course, you have faith and you believe. It's the same thing. You believe what you have faith in. But faith that you have, it, it enables you to do the things that God has called you to do. And as you read through Hebrews 11, you see this. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. It doesn't say by faith he believed that rain would come. That's not what it says. It says by faith, he, he actually built a big boat. By faith, Abraham left his homeland. He didn't just buy maps. He left. He actually left his homeland. By faith, baby Moses was hidden from Pharaoh. And the list goes on all the way to where the author just admits he can't keep writing like this. He says, time would fail me. Time would fail me to talk about all those who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's a lot. Then he mentions all the suffering, the extreme and brutal tortures that saints have endured also through faith. But the point is, whether it's the ability to conquer victoriously or suffer victoriously, faith is something that is active, that accomplishes tasks, that strengthens the saints for actually doing the stuff. Faith works. Hope looks forward and longs for, with a, with a heaven-sent confidence, those things for which our souls ache. Hope fills our vision with Christ and say, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's what I want. It purifies your misguided desires. That's what hope does. It, it corrects your hearts that want the wrong things and love the wrong things, all the disordered loves. Hope is that purifying of hopes and loves and desires saying, yes, I want Jesus. Not just more of Jesus, I want only Jesus. That's hope. 
It fills our hearts with affection for him. The heavenly desires that we, we just get, catch glimpses of when we see you know, the good, the true, the beautiful of this world. Hope is the gnawing pain for heaven that is stirred up in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's hope. Faith, on the other hand, is the substance. It's the present tense presence of those ached for realities that we, we live in now. We ache for heaven and we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it is by faith that we go and make that happen according to our callings and the good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in, right? We want God's glory on earth. We hope for it, confidently believing that there is coming a time when the righteousness of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. But it is by faith in this future reality that we go and, according to Hebrews 11, subdue kingdoms, work righteousness, obtain promises. Faith is active. In that long list in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, perhaps the one that sums it all up the best and ties us back to Luke chapter 1 and Mary the best would be Hebrews 11 verse 8. Just the first four words. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Yup. <laughs> That's where I was trying to go. Took me a while to get there, but we got there. Okay, obedience is the fruit of faith. So in Advent, we look forward to, we hope for the incarnate Son of God with hope. We, we walk towards him and with him by faith. We walk by faith. We walk in obedience. We do the things he's called us to do. And the Christmas story in the Gospels provides us with some of the most wonderful examples of obedience in Scripture, one of the most notable being Mary, the mother of our Lord. Every Jewish girl may have known, theoretically, that she could have a son who would be great, as the angel said in that understated way. He's going to be great. She could have known, maybe, theoretically, hypothetically, that her son would be a leader, maybe even the Messiah. But I don't think any of them would have expected it to happen quite like this. Mary, at the moment the angel comes to her, was not hoping for a baby. However, she does respond to the angel's message with plenty of faith. Plenty of people had hoped for a Messiah, but it was on Mary that the demands and privileges of motherhood are placed. And it is Mary who would live her life under the cloud of the suspicious circumstances of his birth. And it was Mary who says, let it be to me according to your word. Hebrews 11.33, by faith they obtained promises. Well, that's Mary. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. It is Jesus of Nazareth that is the greatest promise of God, and it was by the strength of a substantial faith that Mary enters into her special role as mother of the Lord. Another parallel in Hebrews 11 you might draw from Mary would be to Sarah, right? Sarah, another woman who could not have children by natural means, kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum of Mary, but you can see the similarities. And it said, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. She had faith in the faithful one. In a similar way, it is Mary's faith that welcomed the Savior of the world into the world. There were prophets looking forward to the coming of the Messiah for a few thousand years. That's hope. But it was Mary and Joseph who walked in a special kind of obedience to bring it about. That's walking by faith. They, they like Abraham, leave their homeland. 
right? They, like the parents of Moses, hide a baby from a tyrannical king. That's walking by faith. Now, as promised, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 1. And in order to see this example of faith so that we can learn by it, imitate it, and love the Lord who gave it to us, we're going to take a look at verse 28, which says something, which is something Gabriel says. And then verse 38, which is the best thing that Mary says. In verse 28 of Luke 1, the angel says, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And you notice in verse 39 that the thing that surprised Mary was not the man standing in her room. It was the way he greeted her. It wasn't the angel like, ooh, you're real shiny. It was, you said a lot of things just now. It was the manner of greeting that she was surprised by. And this is the greeting. Um, the conversation goes on to reveal the purpose of the angel's visit. Mary is allowed some questions. And the angel offers her some good explanations. And then down in verse 38, she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Mary believed. She obeyed. She displays the faith that produces this godly obedience and submission. Now, I mentioned before that Mary stands in contrast to some other characters in the Christmas story, right? In Luke's gospel, this is most notably Zechariah. You read all of chapter 1, and you have Zechariah and Mary. Both get angelic visits. Both the visits are to say you're going to have a baby when you least expect it. And there's a lot of similarities there until there's not. <laughs> And uh, Luke is definitely intentionally presenting a, a lesson, right? On the one hand, you have Mary. On the other, you have Zechariah. One responds with faith the, and obedience. The other responds with a bit of doubt that needs a slight course correction. But there's another contrast between Mary and Zechariah that we see in verse 28 in this strange greeting Mary receives. And I really love this. Remember how I said Zechariah and Elizabeth and then Joseph back in, in Matthew chapter 1? They're, they're good guys. It says these are the good guys. These aren't villains in the story. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are called blameless, innocent of transgression according to the law. Okay? Joseph is described with similar terms in Matthew. He is called a just man or a righteous man. These are the good guys. Mary is not called just or blameless or righteous. And those are all legal terms, by the way. Mary is called favored, which is an affectionate term. I'm sure Mary was great. Okay, I'm sure she was all those other things too. I'm sure she was just and good and followed all the rules. But what was the most notable thing about Zechariah and Elizabeth, other than their blamelessness, it was that they were empty. They were childless and it hurt. It is not a mere coincidence that, to highlight the difference then between Zacharias and Mary, that when the Bible was translated into Latin, highly favored one was rendered full of grace. Fullness is contrasted with emptiness. Zechariah gets a scolding. Mary gets a blessing. And the only difference we can see really is that the angel tells Zechariah, you didn't believe. Well, we see Mary say, let it be according to your word. The difference is faith. In Mary's obedience, we see faith. In the angel's greeting, we see grace. So already in the announcement of the birth of Jesus, we are seeing a new covenant unfolding before us. It's a covenant that is by grace through faith. Mary stands out as a unique character in the story, in the gospel story, as one who brings something new to the table. That is kind of Mary's ministry, right? We have different ministries, we have different callings, we have different giftings. Mary's is pretty unique, I think you'll agree. 
What did she offer to the church? What was her contribution? Jesus. Like, you know, at every potluck, Mary's like, I didn't bring food, but you know what I did bring? Yes, we know, we know. Like, I brought Jesus. That Jesus was not her idea or her creation or anything like that, but in a very literal sense, Mary brought Christ into this world. So you have these characters, one after another, righteous, law-abiding, just, pedigreed, qualified. And then you get to Mary, and she's better than that. She's favored. Greetings, oh favored one. The Lord is with you. What more could you want? This is one word in Greek, highly favored ones, three words for us. It's one word in Greek. And the root of the word we translate as grace. So it means graced one, super graced one. One who has been given much grace. Uh, one commentator actually said the word for favored one could mean freely beloved. And I think that's just gorgeous. <laughs> the, the Greek word for grace, of course, where we get favored from is also where we get the English word charity, which means love. Mary is favored. She is blessed. She is freely loved. She is graced. This is what she is in the sight of God. She is graced. And what she does is believe. Grace and faith. And the angel is actually doubling down on this phrase, the word for 28, word in verse 28 for greetings. It's also just the word grace. <laughs> See that in Paul's letters, right? He says grace and peace to you and all that. So the angel doesn't stop with the common greeting, just saying grace. He says grace, gracefully graced one. Like <laughs> It's just he's really hitting home. It's like there's a lot of grace on you. Favor, grace, God's love undeserved. It is on you right now. This is truly grace upon grace, and it is set in contrast to the justice and righteousness of the other law-abiding characters in the story. Paul talks about this in virtually every one of his letters. When he mentions his qualifications according to the law, he says he would count it all as rubbish, garbage, so that he could win Christ. Philippians 3 verse 9 says, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Pick one. <laughs> You get to pick your own righteousness and count entirely on that, or you can rely entirely on your faith in Christ. Paul picked faith because he'd try the other way and knew it didn't work. Mary is called graced, and she shows her faith, and it's never mentioned whether or not she had confidence in the law, but we absolutely know that she had confidence in her God. And Paul you know, many times draws this comparison between righteousness according to the law and righteousness that is through faith. And of course, we know that this righteousness through faith is tied to the righteousness by grace. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, a grace of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Mary found favor. She was graced, blessed, gifted with Christ. And of course, there's never, ever been any other way to receive him than to receive him as a gift. There's never been a way to know Christ other than to receive a grace. He is a gift to be received. And we hear the same blessing, the same welcome the angel offered because we too have found favor with God. I'm going to talk about this word again. It might be the last time. But the word translated highly favored. It's only used one other place in scripture. And the other place, it's, it's the verb form of the word. It's Ephesians 1.6. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It's all about who you are, who you really are. You're a saint, you're chosen, you're beloved, you're blessed, you're adopted. And it's in this context that this phrase, made us accepted, shows up. That phrase, made us accepted, 
is unfortunately translated simply as blessed in some translations. This is better. Made us accepted. That's the word used to by the angel to greet Mary, the one whom God has made accepted. Guys, this is what God has done for his people. This is what God has done for you. Not because of your own righteousness, not because of your efforts, but because of his grace in response only to faith, which is a gift. You were unacceptable, we all were, and God has made us accepted in the beloved. That's grace. The only access point we have for these blessings, the only thing we can do to connect ourselves to this fount of every blessing is heed his call to believe. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the way it works. That's always been the way it works. And even, even that faith, even the faith that we have is not of yourselves. That's a gift. But it is this faith that we see in Mary that shows us what it looks like to be in a place to receive such graces. Mary, the graced one, shows what a gracious, graceful life looks like. It looks like walking in humble faith as a servant to the God that you trust. Verse 38. Verse 38 of Luke 1. Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. To say, let it be according to your word, that is, that's a kind of faith. It's saying, I believe what you say is true. And then there are plenty of people who believe the things the Bible says and believe the things they hear in church. It's, a, it's another step beyond saying, uh, you know, let it be according to your word, to say, let it be to me according to your word. There's a difference between the faith that is intellectual, uh, just intellectual assent, and the faith of those we read about in Hebrews 11 who conquer cities. <laughs> The faith that led people to go and obey and overtake kingdoms and obtain promises and stop the mouths of lions. It's a faith that doesn't stop at, well, that's true. That sounds true. I guess I could believe that. It goes on to say, let this be true in me. Let it be according to your word. I'm the servant. You're the master. You say go. Faith is an active submission to God's word. And to say, let it be to me according to your word, you are confessing that you are indeed a servant. Behold the maid servant of the Lord. This reminds me of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus when he realizes that the situation is dire. Finally, he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? He knows it's Jesus and he calls him Lord and he says, I'm at your service. That's Paul's conversion. When Mary says, let it be done to me, the maidservant of the Lord, that's her faith. Mary says, I'm at your service, God. She knew what this was going to look like. She brought it up in her interview with the angel. I don't know a man. This is going to look like an unwanted teen pregnancy. That's what it's going to look like. She knew the ridicule that would come and does indeed come all the way into Jesus' adulthood where people tell Jesus, we know who our father is. And she says, I'm, I'll do it. If this is your plan, I'll do it. I'm a servant. I accept the will of my master. Now, Mary has been called blessed, blessed, beloved, favored, and all that, but she calls herself a servant. Can't imagine a better place to be. How can she do this? Because she knows that's where the blessings are. God has one favored son, and he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. God has one blessed, begotten son, and he made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This walk of faith, walking with Jesus, we're called 
to uh, an imitation of our king, who, in simple human terms, was able to learn what humble faith looked like by looking at his mother. When Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but yours be done, he is fulfilling perfectly the kind of faith that his mother walked in when she said, behold, your servant, let it be done to me according to your word. The virtue of faith is developed in us as much as we are able to say, not my will, but yours be done. As much as we are able to say with the recently blinded Saul of Tarsus, what do you want me to do, Lord? As much as we can pray with Mary, behold the servant of the Lord. That's me. I'm just the servant. I'm at your service. Let it be to me according to your word. As much as we are able to say these things with these saints, we will enjoy the closeness of the God who is known by faith. Let us cling to the substance of that which we hope for by walking with him in obedience. Rejoice that you are highly favored. Rejoice that the grace of God is on you because of Christ. And let that joy give way to the faith that, is, that produces obedience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as you look on us, your church, I pray that you would see willing hearts, servants, that are, are telling you now in the quietness of their souls, let it be to me according to your word. What do you want me to do, Lord? I'm willing to walk by faith because I know that's not a walk alone. It's walking with Christ and to Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus in hope, longing for heaven, longing for your kingdom to come, Lord, and, and willing to walk in that direction in obedience. We pray with the disciples, increase our faith, we pray with Jesus, not our will, but yours be done. We pray with his mother, let it be to us according to your word. We pray these things for the good of your church and for your glory. Amen. 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 Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.